I just saw that and heard that for the first time with you. That's fun. Um, welcome to July. My wife says rabbit, rabbit, rabbit on the first of each month for some reason. Always has. I don't yet know what that's about. It's lucky. Happy July. Happy lucky July. Um, Welcome to Seasons of the Soul. Uh, This is just a five-week period of time. This is what we're up to in July. We're going to take these five weeks in July, and what we're hoping to do is engage them in a way where we can better recognize God's activity in what he's already up to in my life and in our story together. And sometimes in faith, what we can tend to do, I know I tend to do this, is I can look at other people's story, look at other people's faith story, and say, that looks right. I think that looks right. Why isn't that how my story looks? Why isn't that activity that God's up to in their life the activity that he's up to in my life? And I can feel at kind of a low-grade level, like something's wrong, like I'm wrong, or that he cares about me differently than he cares about someone else. He cares about me less, obviously, because this other person seems to be in such delight with him all the time. And that's what we're going to talk about. Are these different seasons of our soul, these different seasons of our journey, are these different seasons of our with God life where he's up to something uniquely different than he has been before? Perhaps in us, perhaps in us in this time ever before. And we're going we're gonna to look at it through the lens of kind of the four seasons of the year. And we're going to explore together what the four seasons, at least in Colorado, might be able to express about what it looks like to cooperate with that climate that God is up to in my life. So we will explore what does it mean to have a real spring season of faith? What does, I don't know, the landscape of my life look like in these spring seasons of faith? And is that what's going on in my journey today? And we'll look at summer, and we'll look at autumn. We'll skip winter. <laughs> we'll, we'll look at winter because we want to recognize that the circumstances of life that we're facing, whatever those happen to be, are the appropriate circumstances for drawing ever more near him, ever deeper in relationship with him. Sometimes I think the circumstances of my life are in the way. Do you ever feel like this? You're like, these shouldn't be what's going on in my story. I want to edit these out. I want to trade these with someone else. You know, can't they deal with this thing for a bit? I'd love to, you know, problem solve that thing in their life for them. But this is a a five-week experiment at how can we step back to examine life, which is different than interrogating life. I interrogate life a lot of the time. That feels different. Interrogation feels like this, often with lights. And then you're kind of like looking for a problem to solve. Examination just begins to observe and notice and witness what's already occurring and drawing from that perhaps a posture of what it means to interact with God around that thing, 
around that piece of the story together. Um, we read in Ecclesiastes that there is a time for everything, and we can tend to interpret these a number of different ways. Um, I know I do. I have. And one of the ways I think of it is that the author of Ecclesiastes, I'm assuming at some level, they're like some Greek philosopher, and they're telling me about a time in life that I can anticipate coming down the road. And that is a very Greek interpretation of time. It's not what this passage is talking about, but it's sometimes how we can approach that passage. And we can think of it in this sense. This is how I think about it. We can sometimes think of time as like a river. I'd say the plat, but it's probably cleaner than that. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, a, it's a river. And we're thinking the future's upstream somewhere, and it's flowing, and everything downstream is like past, and everything upstream is coming, and then my moment in life, my present moment, is just what's in the river, like what I'm observing in the river. And that is a very Greek interpretation of time, is that things exist kind of in the static sense. Everything upstream has all that material and debris in it already, and I'm just waiting for it to arrive, and then I get to see it, and then it passes on and replaces with something else. And that's not exactly what this author has in mind. And what we can tend to think also is that we can, we can talk about or think about this through the lens of how we, I don't know, treat understand time today, relate with time today. Um, I mean, I have a clock up there. I started a clock that I won't once look at, likely. There's, uh, we can look at time in more of a modern sense, where we begin to associate, I don't know, authority or control to it. Think about... I mean, have you, for those of those of us who have been to Europe, you can think of like these towns. I mean, you've also seen movies. You can think of these towns with bell towers on them around chapels or cathedrals. And we hear them ring throughout the day. Are you with me? Throughout the day, there's these bell towers. That are, and, and the church is kind of the, I mean, the hour if you will, in Latin, is actually synonymous with prayer. And so when you hear those bell towers in the distance, in, the, in this sense, they're calling you to something. They're reminding you of something. And that was kind of the first instance of breaking up kind of the order of a day to follow the liturgical hour of the day. And over time, kind of those hours began to represent kind of authority in the community and it's become increasingly more so to today, where we break up the day in these, these hours and these 60 minutes in an hour and these 60 seconds in a minute. And what we're kind of, now the way that we begin relating with time in this sense is not kind of that Greek way, but it is more of a modern way of thinking that I can control it, that I have a degree of authority over it. That it's kind of mine to manipulate or something. I got this email earlier this week. This is true. And it was a, someone embed a, a video in this email for me to watch. Um, 
And I don't even know how you do this, but I opened it and I played this video and it, it played at 1.25x, which I didn't know like you could do. And it didn't make him sound like a chipmunk or anything, but it did make me think, you know, is this really safe? Like, what is this about? Why are we doing this? What, what? And so while he's saving me, like, time, uh, I'm not really listening. I'm actually calculating, like, how much time is this actually saving me? And by the end of it, it saves me, like, 42 seconds. And I just thought, is that, that's how we relate with time these days. Is that if we can control time, we can kind of control our own existence. We can kind of take back control over our life. And that is not exactly how this passage is written either. This isn't written in a sense of this Greek philosophy of, you know, spatial time. That's not what it's written about. And it's not written in the sense of uh, this real authoritative time over our life. The Hebrew understanding of time is a lot different. And actually in this passage where we read uh, that there is a time for everything, the word time in that statement is, is this word et. And the Hebrew meaning of this is that it's at the appropriate time, like at the nexus of moments together. And the image that we might get is that Time doesn't exist out there somewhere, and it's coming to get me. That time isn't something that I need to manipulate and control, but time are these precise moments, these appropriate moments in the story where an invitation is offered and an appropriate response might be in order. And that's how this passage is written. When we talk about there is a time for this and a time for this, there is a time for joy and there is a time for suffering. What he's calling to our attention is these circumstances in life are likely inevitable, and when we encounter them, the way in which we encounter them might look different based on the season of our journey, based on the season of our life. We'll respond to these moments differently. We may have responded to these same moments. They might look the same. One way, earlier in the story, earlier in time when I was younger, perhaps, than we do this time around, than I do this season of things. The NIV translates, there is a time as a point in time. And further down in verse 11, we read that he's made everything beautiful in its time. And the Hebrew word in beautiful is, is, a, is appropriate. And so there's this appropriate and appointed time, which begins to bring some substance into the meaning of what's actually happening here. He's saying there's this, there's this occurrence, this event in the circumstances of your life, every moment where there's something appropriate happening and there's something appointed that's happening and it's ripe for something. It's ripe for laughter, it's ripe for tears, and how am I supposed to know any of the difference? 
And knowing the difference can distinguish whether you stay in cooperation with what God's already doing in your life or something else. So it does demand a couple things of us, probably, likely. It demands that we're aware of the things that are going on in and around the circumstances of our life, that we care to know them. And it, and it demands that we're also a bit patient with ourselves as we learn how to participate in these appropriate and appointed times. Within kind of the seasons of our story, and you might relate with it this way, at least sometimes some little I do, where I don't want to be experiencing what I'm experiencing. I don't want the circumstances of my life that God has me in. I don't want that curriculum. I want a different curriculum. I mean, I I think, like, literally I do this every February. Like, winter, cold, cold, Colorado winter comes along, and I, like, it feels biting to me. And I get to about February every year, and then I have to leave. <laughs> I leave. I go, I go south because I need a break. Because I want a break. Because I just want a respite. I want the sun to come out again. Like I do that literally in my life, and I imagine I do that in all of the relational aspects of how God is seeking to deepen my life with Him. Like it's just been so cold for so long. <sighs> Can't I get some sunshine in this story? Can't I invoke a different climate for a period of time so I can get on loving things and looking and feeling appropriate at times? Somewhere along the way, we might have, I might have, learned that the the spiritual journey is supposed to look like up and to the right or something. And any kind of plateau in that trajectory is a deficiency. This is how I, some of what I learned. I don't know where I learned this. But it always made me question whether I should be doing more or something different. When in fact, when we begin to examine the circumstances of our life, we recognize, know that that moment that feels still or quiet or silent perhaps is precisely right. And our participation in that moment becomes then that nexus, that intersection of moments that are available for forming, for formation, for a bit of influence and change. I think the longer we spend in Colorado, the more appreciative, might be the kindest word to use, of the seasons. I think that's true. Does anyone else feel this way? Like the, 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 the springs seem to come uh, more hopeful every year. Like I'm so thankful that I don't have to shovel, or like ice my windshield again, again, again. Like I'm so thankful for that. And that degree of thankfulness kind of deepens. And we do become a bit more appreciative of this. We might walk around this neighborhood 
back to the car and see, you know, crocus beginning to grow for the first time. And we think, these haven't always been here. This is the first time in their existence. It couldn't have been that I had missed this. And we become a bit more attached, more available to what's already going on and around us. In the summer times, we might find ourselves, at least I, I find myself, I think I laugh easier, like more generously in summer for some reason. I don't know, I'm seeing someone about it, right? <laughs> Seasonal depression, likely. But I think I'm, I laugh more generously. I think I, I, I have a different attitude about things in summer than I might in winter. I certainly stay up a lot later in summer, invite people to talk more late night in summer, and laugh more. And it's just kind of characteristic of what's going on in and around that season of life. And there might be something for us to recognize and engage about those periods in our story where that is the curriculum. It's not anything else. It gets to be that stuff, which is good news for us. Because there's also these events in life, like autumn, where things begin to kind of decline. We, think, see, we might recognize like a relationship or something in life beginning to wither and trans, like make, move to transition into something. And those can be painful periods of time. And in the spiritual life, they might look like, they might be just really confusing. Because there's moments where there's like incredible clarity. Oh, everything makes sense again. And then these moments where nothing makes any sense at all. And those are just autumn, period, autumn seasons of life. You know, placed kind of paradoxically between, I don't know, the, the beauty and delight of summer and whatever winter <laughs> has for us, and we feel kind of pulled between these tensions, and we're going to talk about that and where we recognize those in our, in our own personal life and how to best engage them and how we might practice engaging them just a little bit differently. And probably most oh, misunderstood of all for me have been those periods of winter time where, you know, it gets quiet in our prayer together. I start by talking a whole bunch, and he never, talk, he never seems to talk back. And I think, am I on the right frequency or something? Like, why did, the, why did he go quiet? Or something might feel a bit dormant or absent. And in those spaces of what does it mean then in a period of silence with him to behave, to cooperate in whatever he's already up to, that we might continue to deepen our life together, recognizing, hey, spring's inevitable (laughs) again, but I don't control the duration of this thing. I just seek to align myself with what's already happening. Because those are all our choices are. When it comes to the formational journey, 
You know, sometimes we think we can accelerate this learning. That's not possible. I wish it were. I wish it was 1.25x possible. You know? We can't accelerate it. Like, I think one of our only choices are that we can cooperate with whatever pace it's going to go for as long as it's happening or to arrest it and stop it from moving. And I tend to do that enough of the time that I'm excited to try something else. What does it look like then to participate with this at precisely the right pace and speed that we might arrive and continue to get caught up in this story together that deepens and deepens and deepens our attention and awareness of his presence. And that presence is always affection. It's his pleasure and delight, his affection and esteem for us. I might end here, and then we can pray, and we might pray. Um, Frederick Buechner talks about it this way in his book, The Remarkable Ordinary. He says, he's talking about how Scripture is interpreted. Uh, and he says, you know, there's a number of ways to understand a literary genre of things. And then his suggestion is, but what if you interpret it like a haiku? And he says this about it. He says, what the haiku does is simply say, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't do any of those things. Don't think about it. Don't name it. Just experience it. Hear it. See it, smell it, participate in it. Before it is something to, before it is saying anything else, it's saying be mindful. That's how he's talking about the haiku. Be mindful. Stop whatever else you're doing and just notice it. Allow yourself to be seized by it. And that's how we'll look at the next few weeks. We'll step into spring and we'll look at what is going on in the landscapes of spring in our life. And we look to get seized by it. Not, I might add this. And then the, whole, the only intent, the only desire is that we might insulate what God's already up to in our story, in our life. I have a, I have a friend who's a fine arts major, and she talks about insulation. Uh, not installation, but insulation. What she talks about is kind of like when we look at this stained glass and that all the yellow around this stained glass is what she referred to as insulation, right? You go to a museum and you find these fine art pieces and they have these white borders around them. That's insulation in the art world. And the whole purpose and intent of it is to just bring attention to what matters. That's the whole point. And so what we're hoping to do in these four weeks is just kind of begin to craft some insulation around what he's already up to, not needing to define exactly what it might mean and be but to enter it and to welcome it and then to enjoy it. Because I think even those winter seasons, there's deep appreciation in them and great joy within them. I'd love to explore that together. May I pray for us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you are up to 
in and around each of us already. I pray that you might help us to recognize and recover some of those subtle intricacies of the deepening life with you. I ask that you might help us begin to weave together some of those items that feel like disconnected and irrelevant pieces of the story. That we might find you. That we might be together within each of them. We love you and we trust you. And it's in your holy and precious, precious name we pray. Amen.